Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, Bad Dirt. What makes Bad Dirt so bad? The answer? The ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like Bad Dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that is creepy and kooky, mysterious and spooky, altogether ooky. He is the captain. And my favorite Spice Girl was Scary Spice. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking Pumpkin Dreamsicle by Breakers Brewing Garage Grade 4 Bottle Caps. Of course, Captain, I could have picked one of many great beers from the great state of Wisconsin, but today is our Halloween show, so I chose this delightful IPA milkshake with pumpkins, ghouls, and a graveyard on the label. This is a little hard to describe, so I'll leave it to all of you out there, but the Pumpkin Dreamsicle is a great Halloween time beer. No tricks. And this nice treat was brought to us by, first up, we have Hannah in Manchester, New Hampshire. And a big cheers, mates, to Daniel in Brighton, Colorado. Here's another cheers, mates, to Abby in Scotland. And a big we like a jib to Katie in Parts Unknown. Wherever that is. We also have... (laughs) If it was up your ass, you'd know where it is. (laughs) We also have Brittany in Akron, Ohio. And last but not least, folks, we have Crystal in Ontario, Canada. So thanks to everybody for helping us out with our Halloween party. If you want to help us out with next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And don't be a dick nose. Go to our store page today, truecrimegarage.com. Go to the store page and pre-order your What Are You Looking At Dick Nose shirt. All right, Captain, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Grab your pumpkins. Grab some candy bars and beer. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk some true crime. Monday, just before 1 in the morning, someone with a 715 area code called 911. There's no mention of anyone asking for help, but according to this log, dispatch could hear a lot of yelling. It's unclear if whoever called hung up or if someone else did, but the log says, quote, 
called number back, and was unable to leave a voicemail. It goes on to say, voicemail indicates the phone lists to Denise, Jamie Kloss's mom. Dispatch apparently tried Denise's phone several more times, but no answer. They tried to call the landline, but the phone was disconnected. They also pinged the phone to an address, the Kloss family home. When police arrived at 1.04 a.m., they thought it was a suicide attempt. Police reported a man was down and that there were multiple rounds spent. Minutes later, they said the door had been kicked in and that the man who was down had answered the door. Then at 1.11, two subjects down. And just after 3 o'clock, the call changed from attempted suicide to homicide. Almost an hour later, a juvenile we would later learn is Jamie Kloss was reported missing. All right, Captain. Well, we've done this a couple of times where we have a case planned for an upcoming show. Usually we cover a cold case or sometimes a criminal profile. But then we have these cases that are all over the news, and we get many requests to cover them kind of as they are unfolding in front of our eyes. Hundreds of requests. So if you didn't recognize the name Jamie Kloss, then you've not been paying attention to the news. And I can't say that I blame you if you haven't been paying attention because... I, too, avoid the news, Captain. Sometimes it leaves me depressed or angry, and that's not feelings that I love having. That's why I avoid you. <laughs> well, let's get into this case, and you heard the trailer there. Let's go through a general timeline of events, and we'll go through this, and then we'll kind of get into some certain points in more detail. So on October 15th, at approximately 12.58 a.m., Barron County Sheriff's Department receives a 911 call from 1268 U.S. 8, so that's Highway 8, a residence just outside of Barron. The dispatcher was not able to make contact with the caller on the line. Now, deputies respond to the home and find two adults dead inside. A 13-year-old girl named Jamie Kloss is presumed missing at this time. Investigators from Barron County, the uh, Wisconsin Division of Criminal Investigation, the FBI, and the National Center for missing and exploited children show up to help at the scene. Fitzgerald, he's the lead sh lead sheriff there. Sheriff Fitzgerald announces that the Kloss home was searched by drone and infrared camera, but there were no signs of Jamie. Investigators also go to Jamie's school in Barron to interview teachers and classmates for potential information. So, what I think we can deduce from this here is that after arriving on the scene, finding two adults dead inside the Kloss family home, they're covering their bases and making sure that they presume the 13-year-old daughter who was thought to have been home with her parents at the time of the attack to be missing, but they're going to the school and checking the neighborhood to confirm that she's not somewhere nearby. Well, and this is Sunday night going into Monday morning, correct? Yeah. So at 3.30 p.m., a nationwide Amber Alert is sent out for Jamie Kloss. She is described as five foot tall, 100 pounds with blonde or strawberry blonde hair. 
At 6 p.m., an updated press release from the sheriff's department identifies the deceased as Jamie's parents, which is 56-year-old James Kloss and 46-year-old Denise Kloss. Now, the next day on the 16th of this month, at 11 a.m., law enforcement hold a press conference stating tips have continued to come in and investigators have continued to investigate. However, there are currently no suspects. Residents of Barron and neighboring communities were asked at this time to be on the lookout and think about if anyone they know has been acting in a different manner, missing work or school, missing appointments, changing behaviors, or wanting to skip town. And if so, they are to notify the sheriff's office. Sheriff Fitzgerald explains the 911 call Monday morning, saying it was made from a cell phone. Now, at that time, he said his dispatchers weren't able to make contact with anyone on the line, but it was apparent that a disturbance was going on. The FBI is and continues to monitor Jamie's social media accounts for any possible leads. And investigators have returned to the home several times to take a second look at the crime scene to make sure nothing was missed. Then we have this interesting thing here, Captain. On that same day, we have a possible sighting in Florida. The Miami Police Department announced receiving a tip that an individual who gave the tip believes that they saw Jamie Kloss at a gas station Monday afternoon riding in the back of a black Ford Explorer with with a Wisconsin license plate of 160-WER. This was in the area of Northwest 27th Avenue and 11th Street. And here's a news clip. Witness claims to have seen Jamie Kloss inside this black SUV yesterday afternoon at a Miami gas station, 1,700 miles away from Jamie's last confirmed sighting Sunday afternoon in her hometown of Barron, Wisconsin. You can briefly see a teenage girl sitting in the front passenger seat as a driver pulled up to a gas pump. She doesn't appear to be restrained at the time. Moments before, a man got out of that same vehicle and walked up to another SUV in a truck to talk with others. Miami police shared the update last night via social media. We are actively uh, researching that tip, um, but what I'm telling you is, I'm the face of information. You can sense frustration from Barron County Sheriff Chris Fitzgerald today that the claim got out before confirming it was actually Jamie. Every tip continues to be followed up on, and if it's something that we need to get out to you, we will get that information and it will come directly from me. And what I like about what he's saying there is, okay, we have this report that comes out early. We don't know if it's her. We haven't confirmed it. But, hey, anything that's important is going to come out of my mouth at these press conferences. Yeah, that's uh, the head guy in charge, Sheriff Fitzgerald of Barron County, Wisconsin, there talking at the end. And like you said, Captain, I think that's very smart because he's seeing very early on. Look, first of all, description of the area, this is not, you know, murder's not a common situation. And then on top of that, we have two people killed and a kidnapping that take place. Right. All or a possible kidnapping. Yes. So now we have the sheriff who's recognizing that, guess what? Information may be coming out from all different angles, from all over the place, including Florida, right? where he sees that. And it's going to be social media. It could be newspapers. It could be TV. But what he's stating is if something real happens, you will hear it from me. Right. I, I mean, might not be the first to report it, but I'm going to confirm or, or um, clear up the situation before you hear it from me. And what's great about what they're doing already is they're 
involvement with the FBI. Yes. And so FBI is, um, kidnapping is an, an FBI crime as well as taking somebody past state lines. So what I like here is that we have them working together and working from, from my perspective, working well together because the sheriff's department have several problems. One, they have a double homicide to investigate. They currently have no suspects in that double homicide or the believed kidnapping of this 13 year old girl. Right. They have a lot going on right in their own backyard going to Florida and investigating this eyewitness claim of seeing Jamie Kloss with two men is something they're not going to have the manpower to work. Therefore, the FBI gets this tip, and the FBI is the one that's going to look into this. And you hear the newscaster who's describing what is seen and what is shown on surveillance footage that was taken at that gas station. And this is pretty clear surveillance footage. What they didn't say was that police were told by the possible eyewitness that two well-dressed men with beards were inside this vehicle and that these men were reportedly in their 30s and between 5'7 and 5'9 and 200 to 250 pounds. Now, it was later that same day that Sheriff Fitzgerald says that, that the tip that they received from the Miami Police Department has been investigated and ruled to be, quote, not credible. Right. He also said that the FBI was the team that looked into the video and investigated. Now, this caused me some concern early on, Captain, because my first thought was we have a license plate number, and this license plate number was given by the eyewitness, and it usually we don't have that. We get a description of a vehicle. Right. And this one, we get a 160-WER. Um, so my first thought was if they quickly— Wait, say that again. I don't think there's a dash in there. So one six zero W E R. Right. Okay. So if, if you look into this, my first thought is if they're saying so quickly that it's not a credible, uh, sighting, then there must be something very quick that they were able to dismiss this. And maybe they talked to the owner and that's why they're so confident in this dismissal of this sighting. Yes, and my first thought, Captain, was either that plate number does not exist or maybe that plate number is on a different vehicle than what is described by the possible eyewitness. I did do a little checking, and that plate number does line up with a Ford Explorer, a black 2017 Ford Explorer, and we won't go into that any more than we need to. Like you said, they may have spoke to the owner of this vehicle. The, the big question that this raised, though, too, was that her being cited in Florida, the thought was maybe this has to do with sex trafficking. There's thousands and thousands of girls missing and their parents aren't dead. Their parents weren't shot to death in their homes. Well, what we have here too is the sheriff coming out at the same time saying that, hey, we don't think that that was a credible sighting, number one, but number two says that there's no clear-cut information that proves that the case has anything to do with sex trafficking. And Fitzgerald also said that there was no information yet. Now, mind you, this is the day after yet that can clearly show that this is an abduction. However, he continued to reiterate that Jamie is missing and in danger. Well, and they have not released the 911 call that came from Jamie's mother mm -hmm. or came from Jamie's mother's phone. They haven't released that. And what the speculation is, they do believe that Jamie was home at the time that the, the shootings took place, the murders took place, 
all we can speculate is that they hear something on that call for them to believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and all the reporting right now is we believe she was there. Yeah. So let's get let's go ahead and get into that. We'll we'll veer away from the timeline for just a second, but that's an interesting thing because there is the police constantly saying that we have reason to believe that Jamie was home at the time of the attack. Now we did have a neighbor that came out and said that the police or the sheriff's department may have accidentally leaked some information to her during the course of their questioning because she states that she was told by the sheriff's department or whoever she spoke with that they believe Jamie was heard in the background, uh, either screaming or yelling for help. Right. And like we said, there was nothing but commotion going on during that nine one one call. But that's what the neighbor is stating that that might be their evidence or their reason to believe that Jamie was home at the time of the attack. On October seventeenth, Sheriff Fitzgerald said autopsies conducted on James and Denise Kloss on their bodies determined that they died from gunshot wounds. Their deaths were, of course, ruled as homicides. Officials believe Jamie was still at home, as we said, uh, at the time of the homicides. On the 18th, a search party is in action, and Jamie Kloss is added to the FBI's top missing persons list. I'm joined this afternoon by local, state, and federal partners along with our school district. Special agent in charge, FBI special agent in charge, Dustin Talameo, Brian O'Keefe, the administrator of the Wisconsin Department of uh, Investigations and Diane Trimbley, our superintendent of the Barron Area School District. We want to encourage people to continue to use our tip line. As of 3 p.m. today, we've received over 200 tips. Again, that tip line number is 851-855-744-3879. We will continue to provide credible information from this podium through press briefings and our Facebook page. There have been tips and information that are being released that does not come from this podium. That is not credible information. The FBI is here to support the investigation and the community in the safe return of Jamie. We are providing a number of resources, including investigative, technical, tactical, and intelligence, as well as agents from our child abduction rapid deployment team. The FBI, along with our law enforcement partners, is committed to finding Jamie quickly and ask for the public's help in making that happen. On Monday, October 22nd at 4 p.m., the Sheriff's Department holds another press conference releasing multiple vehicles of interest. Sheriff Fitzgerald shows three images of two vehicles of interest that were in the area of the Kloss home at the time of the incident. One of the vehicles was reported as either a 2004 2 2010 black Acura MDX or a 2006 to 2010 black Ford edge. The other vehicle was reported as a 2008 to 2014 red or orange in color Dodge challenger. Fitzgerald asked if anyone has seen these vehicles to report them to the tip line, the tip line number, which is in today's show notes is one eight, five, five, seven, four, four, three eight seven nine and we will repeat that at the end of the show you don't want to say it like the sheriff said it well i think eight one seven four seven five yeah fitzgerald unfortunately he he makes the number a little confusing in that press 
conference or the press release as he's sometimes people just they they are troubled if they should put the one before it or go straight into the area code i always go one right and then area code so these vehicles what's interesting here captain is one we should point out that the black ford edge is not the same vehicle that we discussed earlier the the ford explorer that right. was cited they're in very Florida. similar though yeah they are similar so i would describe a black acura mdx or black ford edge as a small uh kind of a compact suv sporty suv sporty suv that's a good good uh answer and then we have the dodge challenger which is very much uh, an american muscle car yeah baby now the reason for giving the range in years is because they're talking about a specific body style so I would imagine with those three different models of vehicle that they're stating, we can't say if this is a 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, or 9, or 10, but the body style of the Acura MDX for those years would fit what we saw on camera. Right. So, and what do we mean what we saw on camera? Well, we got to keep in mind here, they are saying that these vehicles were spotted in the area of the Kloss home at the time of the incident. This is not like... They're not saying these vehicles were in the driveway of the Kloss family home. Well, like we saw with the Molly Tibbetts case, a small community comes together and you have a lot of people that might own a pizza shop or might own a gas station and they're going to turn over their surveillance to the cops in this case. And obviously they don't have license plates for either of these vehicles, but it's probably too far away, too far away. And what we're also seeing here is they're not perfectly certain of the color of the Dodge Challenger, you know, so this would have been at nighttime under the cover of darkness. And this vehicle would have appeared to be red or maybe even orange at times. I saw one newspaper article that stated that their um, sheriff's department was a bit divided when seeing the footage of these vehicles Mm -hmm. where about half of them swore that it was orange and the other half say, no, that's a red Dodge Challenger. Well, you got to watch out for those cops that are colorblind. (laughs) <laughs> yes, um, but just to be perfectly clear, those are three images, three descriptions of vehicles, but there are only two vehicles that were cited. So the black Acura MDX and the black Ford Edge are very similar looking vehicles. The next thing that we really need to dive into is this dispatcher call log. There's a lot of discrepancies where the police say, well, they show up and it's a suicide, but then they think it's a homicide. So there's a lot of discrepancies there. Let's get into that right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go. For a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. 
Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, 
and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Stacey and John, Edward Downing says he prays multiple times a day, hoping that Jamie Kloss is safe. He says all the family can hope for right now is that whoever has her releases her unharmed. Edward Downing says he's lived in Manitowoc for around 40 years, and he says the last time the family saw the Kloss family was around three months ago for a family wedding. And when she disappeared, Downing says he didn't want to believe it at first. It's been over 48 hours since Kloss went missing, and he describes Jamie as a shy but kind person who has friends with everyone she met, and every time he would see her, she'd always have a big smile on her face. Very good in school, lots of friends in school. Uh, the kind of person you really like to know, because every time you seen her, she had a big smile for you, and um, you know she'd come up and talk, and same with her ma. It was, it was just a very good family, very good family. Captain, it was early last week, I actually believe it was on October 23rd, that the 911 dispatch call log was released by the Barron County Sheriff's Department. Now, the 911 call came in, the dispatcher heard a disturbance and a lot of yelling in the background. According to Sheriff Chris Fitzgerald, nobody spoke directly to the dispatcher. The log shows the 911 call was made from Denise Kloss's cell phone. When the call was dropped or when it ended, the dispatcher called the number back and was unable to leave a voicemail. Uh, the phone pinged to the Kloss address and three police cars were sent to the address. The dispatcher tried calling the cell phone several more times but did not receive an answer. An attempted call to the landline at the residence uh, was made but the phone was disconnected. From the time they got the call to the time that they arrived at the scene do we know how long that was well actually in full disclosure here captain that's been reported several different times right okay so i've seen it reported as early as the 911 call came in at 12:53 and as late as 1 a.m. and then i have them arriving on the scene as early as 12:58 and as late as 1:04 a.m. so this is roughly 4 to 10 minute response time Right, not bad. Okay, so it, according to the call log, at 1.03 a.m., they were advised of a possible suicide attempt, requested EMS at that time. At 1.04 a.m., advised one male down, multiple rounds spent. At 1.05 a.m., advised the door had been kicked in, advised that the male who is down had answered the door, unknown if anyone is missing. 
107 advised they would be clearing the house. All right, so let's just kind of unpack that real quick here. And a lot of this is going to be uh, police jargon. This is going to be the way that the dispatcher and the police and the sheriff are used to communicating with each other uh, to get to get proper information as quickly as possible to one. Well, another. I have faith that the colonel can unpack that jargon for us. Well, the first thing I want to point out here, which is a little confusing because at 103, they're saying they're advising the dispatcher of a possible suicide attempt. They need to request EMS. So they're calling for medical services, emergency medical services to arrive on the scene. Right. Obviously, they believe they have someone that is injured, dead, or in the process of dying. Um, the problem here is they believe it's a suicide attempt. My guess, I'm going to have to just to kind of guess here, Captain, they would find James Kloss basically right in front of the front door uh, on the inside of the home. Right. I wonder if there was a window there that maybe they were able to see into the home and could see that there was a male down right in front of the door, thinking maybe it was a possible suicide attempt. Because when they're arriving on the scene, they're probably not hearing anything. They're not seeing any si- anything inside moving inside of the home. All they can see before they've entered the home is that they have a man down near the front door. Then they we know that they enter the home. And this is when they state that they're advising the dispatcher that the door has been kicked in and also advising that they believe that the male who is down uh, had answered the door or was near the door. And they also state it's unknown at this time if anyone is missing and that they advise that they would be clearing the house. So what does that mean? They've not fully entered the home at this point. They've not gone into every room, but what they have is they now have the door open. They can see that multiple bullets were fired and that this man is dead in front of the door. They're probably shouting in sheriff's department, sheriff's department, and they're getting no response from anybody inside of the home. What we need to think about here is because a lot of times us as armchair detectives will sit back and look at a crime scene or look at a cold case and go, how the hell did the police not solve that? How the hell did the sheriff's department screw this up? Right. Look at the call log. They're on the scene at 103. They're advising by 107 that they're going to be clearing the house, meaning they're going in guns drawn and they're going to enter every room of this house. Four minutes after arriving on the scene, they found a dead person, door kicked in, multiple rounds spent. They don't know if anybody's missing or if anybody else inside of the home is dead or that the killer is inside the home. Try to process that in your mind for a second. That a lot of times sheriff and police are arriving on a scene and they don't know what they're walking into. Yeah, and the way this house is laid out, it's it's a ranch, but the garage is like you go around like a hill it's inside it's like in the basement but Mm -hmm. you can drive it might be a split level home it looks to me like the yard would be quite dark at night as well like it doesn't look to be a a bright spot on the road let's say it's kind of tucked away back there well we do know that the neighbors heard some gunshots but it's such a rural area that people were hunting, that people were shooting guns all the time, so they didn't even... They thought that it was a possible uh, homeowner shooting at a bear was what their statement was. Right. I mean, well, and my point, though, is, you know, when you live in an area like that, you hear gunshots and you automatically don't assume the worst. Right. Well, at 1.08 a.m., they advised that two subjects are down and unresponsive. 
at 119 requested to have a search team ready to go. Advised two subjects down, no gun located at this time. So I think that's where we're going to see a shift in the thought of what they believe may have happened at the home. Because if this was a suicide or a murder-suicide, you would expect to find the gun on one of these people or at least, at the very least, somewhere in the home. At 138, they requested photos of the property, and shortly after, they requested a pole cam and a drone to help them get some different visuals of the house and property. Here's a really weird thing on the call log, and I'm not certain exactly what this means, Captain, but at 2 a.m., car number 325, which is one of the vehicles on the scene, advised the dispatcher that Cheyenne, person's name, Cheyenne and JLR were asked to leave as they were driving by multiple times. I, I don't neighbors could be neighbors. Could I, be neighbors. I looked through the newspaper articles to try to see if there was any mention of a Cheyenne or JLR. If anybody out there comes across the, that name or initials, email the show, put it on the blog, let us know who they are. But whoever these people were, they were driving past the scene multiple times and asked to leave. Again, I would, I'd chalk it up to nosy neighbors at two thirty six. Um, the type of call changed. This is when it switched from suicidal person slash attempted suicide to a homicide. And then about an hour later, they entered Jamie Kloss as a missing juvenile at four Oh two. They sent a TTY to EAU Claire County requesting their assistance with nine one one call clean. So captain, you know what this means there. They have the audio from the 911 call and they're looking for somebody to try to clean it up and decipher what is being said on that call. Right, which that's why I was looking to see if it was released yet. So maybe we could do that ourselves. The following be on a lookout for call goes out. Attention, dispatch, reference, missing, endangered, juvenile, abducted by stranger, subject name, Kloss Jamie L. Sex, female, race, white, date of birth, July 13, 2005, height 5 foot, weight 100 pounds, eye color green, hair color blonde or strawberry, date of last contact 10-15-2018. And they do state in this be on the lookout that the they believe the subject was abducted from her home in Barron, Wisconsin. Uh, and she is considered endangered due to the unknown status of the suspect. And states that they were unable to issue an amber alert at that time for some reason. Uh, that amber alert would go out the the that day, but it would be three twenty p.m. So fairly quickly, they get an amber out amber alert out looking for the missing child, and they are canvassing the local area to interview residents and the neighbor uh, neighbors in the neighborhood. One neighbor told police that they recalled hearing two distinct gunshots ring out around 11.53 p.m. on the night of the crime. And, that, so, and that's about an hour earlier than the yeah, 911 call would, would be been, made. Sorry. Yeah, roughly an hour earlier. So I question, I question that time or if that was a misprint in the article that I read. Right. But regardless, like you said, there is a neighbor telling police and sheriff that they recall hearing two distinct but gunshots. If, but if that is true, then these perpetrators could have spent quite a while in the house. They could have. The thing here, though, is 
I'm assuming by what's going on here that if Denise, we know the call came from Denise Kloss's cell phone. Right. If she was the one, in fact, making that call, I don't know how long it would have taken to, to shoot her. I'm, I'm sorry. There's no nice way of saying this. So there was some more information that came out and that was all stuff that we can kind of deduce from that call. But the simplicity of it is that the door to the home was kicked in and there's visible bullet holes that were evident to the police responding. And once inside, they discovered the body of 56 year old James Kloss. And it appeared to them, this is their words as though he was fatally shot while answering the door or possible knock at the door. 46 year old Denise Kloss was found dead in the bathroom. It sounds to me like this bathroom, I haven't seen a layout of the home, but it sounds like this bathroom is down a hallway somewhere near that entrance to the home. Right. Um, and it sounds like she may have barricaded herself inside of this bathroom and attempt to hide from the attacker, at least while she can make the 911 call. She could have been also told by her husband, hey, people are trying to get in the house, hide. Right. Now, the family dog was left unharmed, um, and the firearm used to kill James and Denise was not recovered from the scene. All right, so whatever gun they used, and we're assuming at this point, based off the, what we're being told, is one gun. Correct. Not multiple guns, and now we have a dog. Do we know what kind of dog? I don't, I don't believe that they've outwardly stated that it was one gun that killed both individuals. Right. But like you said, it says they say the gun right. that killed these two has not been located. Um, I do think it's pretty general knowledge what type of dog this was, but I didn't include it in my notes. I know yeah. that it's been reported. I just wanted to see if it was a dog that somebody could easily take control of or if it would be a dog that would put up more of a fight. Or where the location of the dog was. Right. Because, you know, some people put their dogs up at night. This is fairly late. You would think that maybe these two were getting ready to go to bed at some point or were already in bed. Right. Maybe they've put their dog up for the night and, you know, the attacker or attackers never even saw the dog but heard the barking coming from, you know, closed door. And again, it's confusing because we don't know the layout of the house. Just the way I look at the house. Um, let, let me, let me pull that up so you can see that real quick. Just, yep. And I will put this on, um, all the social media and, and the website as well. All right. So when I look at this house, oh, yeah, you're right. I, to me, it looks like a ranch and then it's where the basement is a walkout, but also you would park instead of it being a full basement, half that basement would be dedicated to a two car garage. I see what you're saying. It definitely looks more ranch on top of a basement than what I said earlier about it being split level. So should we get into some of the theories here, Captain? Let's do it. Well, a popular theory early on and may still be to this day, depending on who you talk to, is that Jamie had a boyfriend and was somehow involved with someone who killed her parents and convinced her to run away with them. Now, obviously, friends and family refused to entertain the idea And although nothing can be ruled out at this point in time, police do believe that Jamie is not a suspect. They have publicly stated that she is not a suspect and that she was taken against her will. Well, and even though this seems like maybe a unlikely scenario, her being also 13, 
we have seen cases like this in the past. Yeah, we, we certainly have. There's been situations where a boyfriend will kill parents or some type of guardian of a girl or the girls involved in it as well. And then they run off together to another state. Mm-hmm. Um, continuing on. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that captain, like that, that theory. Um, I will state this when the news first broke within the first few days, I hadn't seen anybody state that publicly that mm-hmm. Jamie could have been involved. And there was that little, true crime guy in me that was saying, Hey man, I've read cases like this before. And I, it's possible, right? It's possible. Um, and then that sighting in Florida, I was glad that they discredited that, that Florida sighting for Mm -hmm. several reasons. One, it looked like one of two things to me, either she was involved in some manner, because remember they state that the girl seen in that black SUV doesn't appear to be restrained in any manner. Mm-hmm. So either she was involved or the, her captors had control of her in a sense that they weren't worried about her running off. And maybe this next theory, which has been a very popular one as well, maybe because of the location that it hinted towards something like this, that, and this is one we've already kind of discussed that Jamie is still alive, but she's in the hands of sex traffickers. Right. Which is still odd to me. And, and just, when you factor in this possibility that the father was opening up the door and possibly telling his wife hide or the wife knew to hide, what were they afraid of? What were they involved in? Who did they know that they would be fearful for their life? Um, and and then the, then the question becomes, okay, why did you murder these individuals? And then why did you take their daughter? I will say this, and I understand that, um, look, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert in sex trafficking or understanding those types of crimes. That's not what the FBI thinks. But what I will state is this, that the, the times that I have looked into similar crimes, if this mm-hmm. was a sex trafficking crime, it seems to me like they fit a very similar MO in a sense that they usually will wait for the target to be alone. Right. And they're abducted usually off the streets or in a public place or maybe from their own home, but at a time where nobody else is home. This seems very different to me in a sense that it feels to me like whoever went to that house that night expected somebody to be there. Right. And may have expected more than just, even if they were thinking Jamie was there and wanted to take her for any number of reasons, almost like they were expecting that the parents would be there. Right. They obviously were expecting to be met with some kind of aggression and some kind of uh, pushback and defense because they were armed. Right. And that's why I believe the murderer knew them well. Um, maybe didn't know that Jamie was going to be there. Mm-hmm. And and so maybe you have a feud with the mother and father. You want them dead, but then Jamie sees you. Right. And then you have to take her, but maybe you don't want to kill her. So that could be a possibility as well. Well, and that's that's really the core of this case, isn't it? That we have a situation where the parents are killed. Jamie is assumed to have been taken and alive. Yeah, so, and you so, would think <laughs> these two individuals are killed in cold blood. Like this person not kicked in the door. Which I actually talked to a, 
um, retired police officer about this case a little bit this week. And I was really surprised for them to say, eh, it's not that hard to kick in the door. No, it's not. It's, it's disturbingly easy. And that's why you see that, you know, most of the objects that are going to prevent people from pushing in your door, they're all on the same spot of the door frame. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all right around the doorknob itself. And if you can get a good amount of pressure right there in that point, you can probably, you you don't have to break down the whole door. You only have to break down that little uh, six inch to one foot range of the door itself. Right. And that's why, you know, it's nice to have deadbolts that are up higher on your door as well as there's. Uh, I have know, the ceiling one and the floor one. I have the little floor boot thing, whatever you want to call that. Um, and those things are pretty, pretty solid, man. Um, but the thing to, to me at the core of this case is Jamie is kept alive. Jamie is alive at the end of that attack, but the parents are not. Well, this is what they believe. Right. And for me, there's a reason behind that. Now it could be any number of reasons. There could be many bad reasons why she was taken and, and kept alive, or there could be less bad reasons. And what I mean by that is like something you hinted on earlier, just saying that maybe they didn't intend for her to be there. Right. And for some reason, this is a person or persons that didn't intend to kill a child. Let's keep in mind. She's 13. She's a child. Yeah. And we don't know much about their history or background as of yet, because this is all, you know, relatively new, but we also do know that they were at a family function before. and, And how many of us have been at family functions that, turn out to create some kind of argument. So I'm sure that's something that law enforcement and the FBI is looking into. You got to wonder how strong are they looking at their place of employment? Because we have a weird situation here too, where the two of them worked at the same space, you know, same Mm -hmm. location. They both worked for that Jenny O's Turkey uh, company. Right. And then, so if there was some kind of, fight at work or some kind of argument at work did that carry over and 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 that's why they were murdered again it's a it's also a weird time and we've got sunday going into monday to me that's just kind of an odd time but again they're coming from a family function was there something more uh heated that was involved there could somebody have been waiting and watching the house or are they striking at a point in time where they fully believe and expect the, you know, James and Denise to be home? Because yeah, it, but, but in that scenario too, that you, ex, you would expect that Jamie would be home. Her parents are home. Mm-hmm. She has to go to school the next day. You would assume that the perpetrator would know that this 13 year old girl is going to be home. Would you think that, that we're really kind of looking at, two scenarios. I know there's a whole lot of possibilities and theories to go over, but really do you think this boils down to two scenarios? One where either Jamie might have been the target or, or, or part of the reason for the way that this went down Mm -hmm. or two that Jamie was unexpected that either Jamie was not known about to the offender or, or they didn't expect her to be there for some reason. Like you said, that that is a good possibility where they, assume that um, the mother and father are home, but they don't even know about Jamie. Mm-hmm. That would be a, that's something I actually haven't really thought of. So I think that's a good point that law enforcement is going to have to look at as well. 
I did read an article that states that there are 32 registered sex offenders within just three miles of this home. Now, that's kind of a weird statement because you could take that any number of ways. 32, depending on where you live, may seem like a high number, may not seem like a high number. But in this area, I got to call this a a large number because Mm -hmm. once you take into account that the population of the location is only about 3,000 people. So that's 32 registered sex offenders in a concentrated area, which is certainly cause for concern. Yeah, I I don't think I would want to live in that area, especially with the 13-year-old daughter. If you get on the internet and you start looking, and I shouldn't have laughed when I said that, but if you get on everybody, the Everybody gets on the internet and looks up sex offenders. If you look area. it up, you're always, I've always been shocked every time. I'm like, that, ugh, that number's higher than I expected. There is only, well, that's what's nice about where I live. I'm kind of a little secluded a little bit. A neighborhood that's secluded, but uh, one within like, I don't know, a six mile, mm-hmm. eight mile radius. One. And you've put a tracking device on his vehicle. No. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, I don't have any kids, so I'm not worried on that level. But, but, you know, I know what he drives. I know where he lives. Well, according to John Lieberman, he's a reporter and former investigator for America's Most Wanted. He states that this community is uh, meth is the number one public safety issue and the number one drug problem. Mm -hmm. So he says that he's speculating that they are probably looking at anybody who is attached to the meth community and seeing if anyone there possibly could be involved. Well, and there was a crime that we covered. Uh, Hopefully you can remember it, but it was um, the house was taken over during the day. Mm -hmm. The father was tied up in the basement. Yeah. Uh, They went to the bank. The Cheshire murders. The Cheshire murders, yes. I lean towards that where it was going to be maybe a burglary for drugs or there's some involvement with her parents and these drug dealers or drug addicts. Mm -hmm. They break in. They kill the mom and the dad. They see this 13-year-old girl. One of them has... Uh, some sexual desires or fantasies or whatever you right. want to call it some perversion and says, now we're taking this and she's going to be a victim of a different crime. Yeah. And in that crime in particular, there's uh, what I've always considered a hot debate as to why the family was targeted. Were they targeted because they were perceived to be wealthy or were they targeted because the one individual, the one offender murder or rapist w- saw the 12 year old girl that he was attracted to and targeted them for that purpose. It's hard to tell. I mean, based off the pictures of this house and we don't have a bunch of pictures of, of houses surrounding this area. So that points out, John Lieberman points out a couple of different options here that are interesting because one, the thought that maybe there was meth involved or somebody attached to the meth community that is involved in this crime. And you said maybe there could have been a beef between one of the parents or both parents and whoever pulled off this crime or do we have a situation where it's a robbery gone horribly wrong and this could be and that's kind of what i was trying to say earlier yeah and this could be a couple different avenues you could take from this so first of all uh, the door was kicked in so clearly there's forced entry into the home Mm -hmm. or at least we are being told that the door was kicked in so that to me would point to something like a robbery 
Um, the, the, the things that don't point to something like a robbery is there's no reports of anything of value being missing from the home. Mm-hmm. There's really no reports of anything at all missing from the home other than Jamie and the dog is kept alive. But again, I think we kind of put that to bed. Didn't we, by saying, look, it's late at night. The dog could have been locked up. Right. You know, most situations, if you kick in a door, that do- that dog, if there's a dog home, will come charging at whatever has kicked in that door. And usually the dog is the first thing to be put down. I think we have a situation where maybe the dog was in a location where it would, could do only, it could only bark at the noises that the dog was hearing. Mm-hmm. So with the robbery gone horribly wrong, that would take us down two avenues. The first being that they targeted the Kloss family or home for some reason, or did they hit the wrong house? Do we have a situation here where that's a possibility? They were thought well. they were going after somebody else, and they hit the wrong house. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they took Jamie with them. The other thing too that's interesting, Captain, is there's not a lot of violent crime in this area. Uh, John Lieberman and I wanted to dive into this more. But you'd think there'd be more if there, if there's a lot of meth going on in the area. Well, there could be a lot of crime, but he specifically states violent crime, right? You know, so there could be thefts and car break-ins, things of that nature. Those aren't described as violent crimes. But one thing he does mention in his interview is that there is two unsolved cases in the area. And I guess he's lumping these in as violent crimes, one is a murder, so of course it, that would be a violent crime. The other, other is a missing persons case from 1996. He states that happened in that general area, and they're both unsolved as well. Mm-hmm. I, he didn't provide enough information in the interview for me to go back and find out what those cases were uh, or the details of such. But then there's this other weird, super weird situation. This is not sitting well with me at all. Oh, yeah. Pumpkin, uh, pumpkin head. That's yeah. What are you talking about? So there was an arrest made over the weekend. And that's when usually the captain and I would jump out of our chairs and scream, got him. And we have all kinds of fun with that. <laughs> the problem, got him. the problem is they arrest this guy. Pumpkin head. Well, it, look at his pic- picture. And I look, he looks like a pumpkin head. Now he, he's a, he's a super creep. Well, he's a, he's super, a creep. super creep, a super, super creep. He's super, super creepy. creepy. Yeah. Well, this thing, Captain, this dude, what's his name? Can you pull up his name for me? <laughs> Rather than calling him Pumpkinhead well, he kinda, for us? It kind of looks like Pumpkinhead. No, he definitely does. And he has those weird glasses. He almost looks like he tucks in the side of his mouth a little bit. Well, I'll break this down for you. The mm-hmm. police were fairly quick. I say police. It's actually the Sheriff's Department. But the Sheriff's Department were fairly quick to say that he's not a suspect in the disappearance of Jamie nor the homicides of her parents. So on Saturday was the funeral. Yeah, on Saturday there was a funeral for both parents. On that day is when the house was broken into. Yeah, like in the middle of the night, the super creep comes creeping in the back door. Apparently he found an unlocked patio door. Now somebody had set up motion detecting Mm. cameras. I believe it was probably the sheriff's department. He went into the home to steal clothing and it sounds what's being reported is that he was stealing underwear of our missing girl. Yeah. You know, most, most reports state clothing, but there are some that state underwear of the missing girl. How is not a suspect? 
well, five the- nine pumpkin head, uh, stuffed two tank tops, a girl's dress, and two pairs of girl's underwear in his coat pocket. So this is 32-year-old Kyle Jank Annis, and I'll spell that last name because it's tricky for me. <laughs> Looks like Annis. J-A-E-N-K-E dash. Is that a dash or a hyphen? What do you hyphen, call it? Yeah. A-N-N-I-S. So this 32-year-old super creep was arrested over the weekend, and as the captain was saying, this was on the same day as the double funeral, and it was also on the same day where they doubled the reward money that's being offered for information on the case specifically to find 13 year old Jamie Kloss. Well, and, and let's hear this. He tells authorities that he was curious about what size Jamie was. Okay. That's a little weird. And then he says, you know what? I didn't know the family. Although he worked at the same, he worked at the Jenny same place. O Turkey store. Yeah, so I'm wondering how much of the population in this area mm-hmm. work at that Jenny O's because, like, you and I can go to the store here in Columbus, Ohio, and buy Jenny O's turkey. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't know how big of a operation that is, and there's a chance maybe he didn't know them, but it's quite the coincidence that he has an interest in 13 year old girls' underwear. He works at the same place or same company at least as the parents. And he's brazen enough or dumb enough or both. I don't know how you want to look at it to go creeping in their home. Could this place be on any more of a high alert? Yeah. Well, you're talking, dude, you're talking about a a desire for girls underwear. That's so strong that you can't stop yourself from going into a home where two individuals were murdered. A girl was taken and your desire for girls underwear. So strong that you go into this location. That's on high alert. I, yeah. To me, I, I'm telling you, I yeah. I want some more information as to why this guy was cleared. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pumpkinhead has his head so far up his anus. I mean, and again, like you said, like you just said, why was he cleared? Because right. this just seems strange, especially on the day that they're having funerals. Who was it um, a handful of years ago in Ohio? There was an individual that broke into a home and he would later claim that the family came home while he was in the process of burglarizing the home. He ends up killing the adults that startled him and he he abducted a 12 or 13 year old girl at the time. It's Matthew Hoffman is the name of the offender. Mm -hmm. What's what's weird here is I kind of look at this case the way that I'm looking at the the current state of this case right now, of Jamie Kloss's case. And what I mean by that is, if my memory serves me right, I think Matthew Hoffman, after he was apprehended, he sat pretty damn quiet about what had actually happened for several days. Mm -hmm. He wasn't willing to, and they basically caught him red-handed because they found the abducted girl with him. So they know he was guilty, right? Yeah, but again, this could be this could be law enforcement playing a hand. That's hey. what I that's what I mean. Could yeah. we have this could we have this 32-year-old Kyle super creep guy who's super just creep. sitting there super quiet creep. for now and not willing to fess up to anything and maybe they didn't find anything at his apartment, his house, his dwelling, wherever. Mm-hmm. And so they have nothing to tie him to the case. But this is an area where there's a lot of there's land Mm-hmm. There's outbuildings. Could he have some other place that um, 
he does this super creepy stuff. You also have to wonder, we mentioned 32 registered sex offenders in the area, in that general area. You have to wonder, does he fall on that list? Does his name pop up on that list? Well, check this out. Over the weekend, Mm -hmm. the sheriff is going to say that, hey, the reward is $50,000 for information on this case. And in a Facebook post on Monday, he said more than 2,000 tips poured in this weekend. So hopefully... This was a case that so many people said, hey, check this out. And I think it's because we we're only getting little bits of information. Right. And I, at first it was a uh, missing girl. Then I, then you find out, well, no, not only is she missing, but her parents were murdered. Mm-hmm. Probably at the time that she went missing. And then you hear this thing about that maybe she's in Miami, Florida. And, and so it's really difficult to cover a case that's this new. And as things are coming out. Uh, and it's hard to know what direction really to go in because law enforcement is going to keep a lot of this stuff uh, close to their chest. And maybe if there is some voice identifi- some voice identifiers on that 911 tape, maybe that would be released at some point. You know what? You might not even need voice identifiers. You might be able to just decipher who it is based off of the words that are said. Meaning that if we have... If their words were said. If we have gunshots fired, they obviously know how many gunshots would have been fired during the course of this. If they hear that number of of shots fired and then hear a voice saying, please help or no stop or anything that you would expect the victim to say and not the perpetrators, Mm -hmm. then you know she was home and she was alive after the, the parents... We're no longer alive. And really the whole thing here is, look, no good can come of this. This is a tragic, horrible, horrifying case that has ripped apart a community. Mm -hmm. But there is still time. There could still be time to save this little girl. So real quick here, Captain, Jamie was, Jamie is described as being quiet, shy, and generous. Friends and family told the media that the, The mother and daughter relationship was extremely close, that she was very close to her mother, and the two were inseparable. Jamie Kloss is described, as we said earlier, as five foot tall and around 100 pounds. She has green eyes and blonde or strawberry blonde hair. Anybody who sees anything, you know, like we talked about that sighting that came up in Florida, and even though there's been press releases to state that it's been discredited, I want to take my hat off to whoever made that phone call because they always say, if you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. There's never been a better time. If you see something, damn it, say something. Well, and there's a lot of people saying stuff this weekend. I mean, 2,000 tips come in, so hopefully uh, law enforcement is on the right track. Any tips, sightings, or information can be reported to the following number, 1-855-744-3879. Again, police do not believe that she has voluntarily run away and instead believe that she may have been taken against her will. Again, that number is 1-855-744-3879. And for all of our old episodes, you can check them out exclusively on Stitcher. Just download the Stitcher app. It's free. 
And from episode one to episode now, they're all free. And check out our new show, Off the Record, available on Stitcher Premium. It's not that new anymore. It's uh, 27 weeks old. It's 27 weeks young. (laughs) How about a little quick recommended reading before we go, Captain? Yes, sir. This week we are recommending Operation Devil Horns, the takedown of MS-13 in San Francisco. This is the story of a dedicated team of special agents, federal prosecutors, and local police who took down more than two dozen violent criminal targets. In this true story of determination for justice, this is a case of victorious commitment to public safety and taking down MS-13's criminal network. Check that out by going to truecrimegarage.com and click on the recommended page. Captain, I wish you a very happy and safe Halloween and everyone out there as well. Make sure you check for those razor blades in your kids' candy. Till next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.